welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, the Smokemaster General, Mr. Trey Devin. I almost forgot that part. And I'm sitting with Shane Reeves. You know, I think my sense of humor goes largely unappreciated by the people that I interact with on a daily basis. The same is true for me, for sure. Well, I stopped at Chick-fil-A, and the first thing she said was, what's a good name? I said, Balthazar. If it's a girl, Fanny Artemis. <laughs> and she said, your name's Balthazar? I said, no, my name's Shane. She said, okay. I said, well, you asked a good name. You didn't ask my name. You asked a good name, so... I'm sure she put a note, please spit in this guy's spicy chicken sandwich. It's, it is so, you know, you and I are fairly quick-witted, I, sure. I think. And um, it's so interesting to me when you run across people in the wild and you make a joke that goes so far over their head because they can't even wrap their head around the joke f- as fast as you were able to come up with and make the joke. Right. They, 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 it just doesn't click with them. It's, yeah. They're going through their daily doldrums, and here I am trying to brighten this lady's day. She was not happy. Well, she she's so far in the weeds that she can't pull back. Yeah, it's not like I said when I assumed you were asking for baby names right. or anything like that. I've yeah. learned, unless you can see the baby emerging, don't ask if a woman's and pregnant. And even then, it's questionable. Yeah, even then, it's iffy. Yeah. <laughs> And all. So, but anyway, let's talk about our cigars. And also, I'm going to smoke something I've never smoked before. The Alec and Bradley Kintsugi. Um, and we talked about this when they announced they were mm-hmm. making it, that it's based on the art of Japanese taking pottery that's broken and putting gold or silver into the cracks to make it something better than it was. Um, that's a little high-handed for a cigar, but I'll... Well, I'll accept it. I think this is one of those scenarios, like we talk about, where you come up with the name or the concept first. Right. And then you make the cigar that you can use that with. A lot of movies like that, where they, they came up with the name of the movie and then said, okay, let's write the movie. Yeah. You know, the hangover, the, you know, what, what was some of the others. But anyway, and uh, Lethal Weapon. Um, you know, all of these, they kind of came up with the name first and then decided yeah. to write a movie around it. So I bought the Robusto, and I'll, it's a Honduran cigar made in Honduras, Habano wrapper, Honduran binders and fillers. Um, Honduran, not my favorite tobacco. Not mine either. I'm all, it's already kind of starting out in the hole with me due to the fact that I've got to remove the wrapper to light it. Yeah. I, I, I or the, the label. Yeah, the, the label. Um, I've, I've heard, I've known a couple of people who've smoked it and have said good things about it, despite it being an Alec Bradley. So that's, and it's from people whose opinion on cigars I, re, I respect. So, well, and it's not like Alec Bradley is incapable of making a good cigar. No. No, they're really not. I I forgot we were recording there for a second. <laughs> uh, no, they're not incapable. I, you know, we we've talked about on the show before about. I've always felt their cigars are about two dollars, three dollars more expensive than they should be. Right. Uh, but you know, so it'll be interesting to to see what you think of that. Because I, I do love the concept. I love the name, and I love the the branding around it. I, in fact, I almost grabbed that same cigar when I was in the humidor today. But instead, um, I went for a cigar that I haven't smoked on the show. I haven't smoked in a very long time, despite the fact that it's one of my favorites. Because I'm having, a, for the first time in a while, I'm having a good day. 
I'm not having a great day. I'm not having a banner day, but I'm right. having a really good day. So I reach for a Padron. This is the 4000 series. Such a such an incredible cigar for you know, for the money especially, you know, they retail around 10 bucks, 11 bucks depending on on your particular shop. It's a Nicaraguan puro just like all padrones are. Uh, it's Nicaraguan sun-grown wrapper and one of the things I love about it is that they they so the four thousand, the two thousand, the three thousand, the nine thousand, it's all the same cigar. It's just they created kind of like we talk about from time to time where you know one cigar, one size. So they didn't quite do that, but because they named the cigar specific to the size, you don't get lost in the naming conventions. If right. that makes sense, like and most time when we refer to them, we just say Padron Thousand Series. Yeah. Um, but when when you say fourth, like so, I was I was in New Jersey this weekend for a family wedding, and my brother in law was the one getting married, and he smokes about three cigars a year, you know. But it has become something that we've been able to. How was your brother in law getting married? Because he's my wife's brother. Okay, follow now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little slow. It's fine. Well, and, and technically speaking, he's actually already married to his wife. Okay. Because they got married on paper last year when right. their wedding was postponed, similar to what we did. And so we finally got a chance to get all the family together, do the thing. And so he smokes about three cigars a, a year, but it's become something that he and I have been able to form a little bit of a relationship over, that and the James Bond franchise. And so he went out and he bought a box of... Uh, Fuente 858s, which is a cigar. I couldn't tell you the last time I had an 858. Surprisingly good. Not a whole lot to it. Um, good flavor. Uh, a little bit of complexity. Not very strong. It was perfect for the scenario because there were a bunch of people that just kind of getting into, you know, just because they were there. And I had an opportunity to uh, speak with a, a friend of his from childhood who I'd never met before. And this is what I love about cigars. I would have never found, you know, because when you go to events like this, you know, we've a couple of my wife's cousins that we really like and we like to catch up with. So we we actually caught up with them and, and had breakfast one day. And then you've got the, the, the aunts and uncles and all those people. That, that's who I'm going to spend my time with. I probably wouldn't have gotten into the social circle thing if it hadn't been for this opportunity to step outside and smoke a cigar. And so it was really great to, because someone was telling me about how the Padron 2000 was one of the best cigars they'd ever had, but they wished it was a little bit bigger. And so it was, it was great to be able to kind of, I mean, just kind of get in the weeds uh, about cigars and, and be able to have that, you know, to the point that the guy's also a Formula One fan and he was like, we should go to Miami for the race next year. And you know what, by God, I think we actually might. <laughs> That's what I love about this hobby. It's all well. Remember, if you remember last week, as we were closing the show, we were talking about ways to end a conversation, and one of those was invite the person to go do something with you. Maybe he was trying to get rid of you. <laughs> hey, yeah, let's go to a formula race together. <laughs> we'll know if a month from now you call him. He says, "Trey, who? 
Yeah. <laughs> well, no, to this guy's credit, as, as we were leaving, because we talked several times after that over the course of the weekend, he was like, and I mean it, I'm finding you on Facebook and we're going to Miami. And sure enough, I got a friend request from him like the next day. So Okay. Well, was, that's good follow-up. You know, it's, it's funny, though. So I saw this thing on... Instagram, I think it was a couple of days ago. It was just a little meme. It says, you ever leave a social situation and, and walk away thinking, not my best work? Mm-hmm. If there's one thing that the quarantine has done to us, I do think social skills, at least for me, they come naturally to you. For me, it requires a little bit of practice. And I think the lack of events like that over the past year and a half, I am a little bit out of practice. That whole weekend, I was walking away going, wow, that... Man, I feel like I was a little bit awkward, or man, that wasn't my best work. Or my <laughs> well, speaking of which, and all, your name was invoked at this shop last night. That, had, al- that always concerns me. <laughs> well, we had our annual monster game, and all, we had 19 players. We actually had to get two boxes of monsters because we had that. so many people, and all. So we um, got two boxes of monsters and gave out two first prizes, one for each table. Did you play separate tables to Played the end? Separate tables to the end. Because when you got 10 at one table and 9 at another, it's kind of hard to say, okay, you know, everybody chip in 5 bucks. Right. You know, when everybody could chip in 15 and we could have two winners. And all in combining tables is always kind of a pain. But anyway, prior to that, so I was here early because I knew the monster game's always a big draw. People love the monster game. I've had several people today say, oh, man, last night was a monster game. I can't believe I missed it. Um, So I was here a little bit earlier, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies, what I usually do. And somebody said, has Trey seen the new James Bond movie? And what did he think about it? Because there was a discussion going on about the new James Bond movie. And I know you had a a date with yourself a couple of weeks ago where you went and seen it. I, I was I was supposed to. Oh, you hadn't seen it yet. No, I haven't. And I'm I'm trying to figure out and I might actually do that tomorrow night after work because so the 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 whole and I'll, and I'll keep it short and sweet because I know people don't listen to this to hear about our personal lives but so that was going to be my treat to myself after we finished moving well as you know because you were helping to the bitter end that didn't happen until Monday until two days ago. Okay, in in defense of my reputation, all I did was help you haul a refrigerator all over hell and creation. That's true. Just, just no, show no. anybody that I've said I don't help move knows. I really don't. No, this was a rare this, occasion. This was a, I'm in a panic because something went sideways, and you were the person who was available to help me correct the problem. It wasn't technically moving. Yeah, okay. Um, I would not ask you to move, and I know that you do not help people move. I, I didn't want to ruin my reputation. I, yes, I, and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I almost I almost created some issues there. But so yeah, we ended up not instead of being able to go to the movies, I still had to take of two van loads worth of stuff to storage that night. So I, I haven't done it, but I think I think tomorrow I'm gonna make it happen. Okay. Well we'll we'll look forward next week to hearing Trey's review. Mm-hmm. And I've not watched any of the Daniel Craig Bond movies. Have you really? Not seen a single one of them. But I'm not a huge one, I'm not a huge movie guy. A huge, a huge Bond movie guy, particularly. And it's hard to set aside that kind of time in my life. They say this one clocks in at like three hours. Two minutes, 41. It's the longest running bump. And I'm a little nervous about that. Yeah. What I am looking forward to, though, is that this theater right down the road here is actually doing open caption showings. And so so I, I've kind of talked about it on the show before, but I'm, I'm 
gradually losing my hearing to the point that I'm hard of hearing, bordering on deaf, which is probably concerning the fact that I run all the audio on this thing. <laughs> so when I go to the movies... I would blame it on you anyway. <laughs> yeah. When I go to the movies, you can actually buy a little caption device that sits in the cup holder. It's on a little gooseneck, and it's a little dot matrix screen, and it does captions along with the movie, and it's great, and it allows me to not miss the whisper parts. And... So, but occasionally theaters in bigger cities often, and AMC is doing a big ADA push to, to be more inclusive, they actually put the subtitle, the closed caption on the screen in the theater. And I'm really looking for, I've never experienced a movie that way before, and I'm really looking forward to it. Has, has anybody ever walked up to you saying your little device, do you need more popcorn? <laughs> Uh, you know, that thing you do where you really try to make it easy to read lips? You, you know, it's funny because the, the movie theaters you know, don't advertise that they have this. And so a lot of deaf people just don't even go to the movies because they don't know it's available. And so and what I've found, it, you know, I go to one movie a year max anyway. I, I'm not a movie guy. And so oftentimes when I ask for them to grab that device, uh, the what? hang on. And they go get the manager and the manager goes, Oh yeah. Yeah, we do have those. Where are they? <laughs> Closed. And, yeah. And so, and, and at the most recent movie I went to this, do you know how to program it? No. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, <laughs> so my check. Yeah. So you go up to the, uh, the concession stand and they don't have a clue what you're holding. Yeah. My concession stand can't even master popcorn and a cold Coca-Cola, let alone <laughs> subtext on a movie. But anyway, are you, I, I know, I know, we need to get to the show. Are you a smuggle your own stuff in, or are you a concession stand person? So I believe in purchasing my Coca-Cola and my popcorn from the movie theater. Now, if I, I'll throw a box of Reese's in my pocket. Yeah. A box of Whoppers, something like that. If I'm going to, if Whoppers, I'm going to. Whoppers, really? Oh, I love Whoppers. Oh, this well, the worst. Fight, we'll fight about this later in the show. Yes, we will. <laughs> right, we got to make sure we get to that yeah, article. We'll, we'll put this fight on hold. <laughs> but anyway, let's let's put that fight on hold and talk about a cigar. All right. From Half Wheel, Blind Man's Bluff, Nicaragua, shipping next month. I'm looking forward to this cigar. I am too. You know, I think for me, the Blind Man's Bluff is the best cigar in the Caldwell lineup. Now, it's not the best cigar. But it is the best value for dollar in their lineup. And it's the one that I will smoke most often. Well, I'm, I've won the Caldwell game when we held it down at Big Boys. So I got a whole slew of um, Caldwell, stu Caldwell cigars that I've been smoking. And the Blind Man's Bluff holds up. Yeah. I mean, it just holds up. And so the Nicaraguan, I'm really looking forward to, of course, the box is orange. And the rep has no idea why orange is the official color of Nicaragua. No one does. We, we looked up the Nicaraguan flag. I said, well, is the Nicaraguan flag orange? No. Nope. <laughs> and I'll, is the ground there orange? What, what is the deal? Why does, every, why does every Nicaraguan cigar look like the University must, of Tennessee issued it? <laughs> it must be something about the sunset. There, there's got to be it's some... It's got to be some, some something. We're going to have to do a deep dive well, one day. Because even the flag of the Netherlands, who, you know, the Dutch are, are renowned for showing up to sporting events all over the world, it just orange out. Even that's not on their flag either. They just, uh, one of the kings at one point said, I like orange, and then everybody started wearing orange. So it's a Nicaraguan Puro of a Habano wrapper, going to be offered in three sizes, the Robusto, the Toro, and the Magnum. Perfect. Let's just keep it nice and simple. Yep. 
550, 652, 660. You don't need more size. Now, although I love the Churchill, mm-hmm. I do. I bought a box of Spanish press in the Churchill and have been loving that cigar. You know, I'm noticing that fewer and fewer new lines are coming out with a Churchill on offer. I think it's going to come the way that, you know, there was a time back in the 20s and 30s where the Double Perfecto was the most ubiquitous cigar size on the market. And now you don't see it anymore. And I feel like Churchill's the next one to go. And this will be made in the STG Donley factory in Honduras, and all, which was literally broken hours before the podcast. Because uh, hours before the podcast, when I originally nailed this article down, the factory was undisclosed. Right. And Caldwell came back, and they actually updated the article. So good job, Half Wheel. We complain about Half Wheel. I praise Half Wheel in this. They updated the article. Yeah. And prices ranging from eight seventy to ten seventy uh, for Robusto Toro and Magnum, uh, respectively. So, yeah, uh, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to this, and I know they'll have them here. Well, and this kind of makes sense in the Caldwell line. This cigar, the Nicaraguan, it makes sense. Unlike our next cigar, right? Cohiba Blue seven seventy shipping this week. Nobody asked for that. I've never had a Cohiba that I wanted to be bigger. Right. And I've never thought while smoking Cohiba, this would taste great in a 7x70. Is this is this a chink in the armor for Cohiba? Is this showing that maybe the partnership with General has not gone as well as maybe we thought it would? Here's the thing. Do you remember when Cohiba was the most expensive cigar in the humidor? Yes, I do. This is going to be fourteen ninety nine a stick. Right. For a seven seventy, that's a lot of that's a lot of tobacco for that price. Yeah, I, I'm that kind of concerns, but more more than the fact that there's a seven by seventy Cohiba, which no one asked for, is the fact that is that a sign that maybe their quality is not that much different from what it used to, from from the rest of the the pack, or is this just a sign of how expensive cigars are getting overall? Well, we also could look at the positive side. We could say, okay, general broke apart and divested into forged in general. Sort of. And they did that so they would have more focus to put on something like a Cohiba Blue. Yeah. So I, I prefer to look at the positive side. Maybe this is them saying, hey, we're, we got a little pressure off of us without La Gloria Cubana and Diesel and all those. Why don't we Why don't we experiment around with some of our core line and see what we can do? And I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing if it sticks. And also, I'm, our next article, I've got to know what your response was. You didn't text me back. But I texted you, we're so doing this article. And you didn't respond back to me. That, that's true. That was, that was more to do with my stress level at that moment than it had anything to do with the, uh, with the article itself. I'm surprised you haven't postponed this week's recording so you could go try it out. Well... So the article is from the Art of Manliness, How to Wrestle an Alligator. And also, I'm not going to go through the details as much. I'm gonna, I want to hit the high points and then come back. Step one, getting on the alligator's back. So here's what you're supposed to do. I'm going to sum this up because I've read this article, thir- article thoroughly. You're supposed to take your shirt off, throw it over the alligator's eyes, get on his back, slip your arm under his neck, Probably an S grip. I would say you would use yeah. an S grip in this situation. It sounds a lot like my lovemaking technique. Actually, um, most of the times <laughs> I've seen it, it's one hand on either side of the mouth, holding it, cl- holding the jaws closed. Well, 
And you pull the head back to the point that it actually paralyzes the alligator. Yeah. And I'll... Um, and when the alligator submit, submits, and then, I love this, step four, getting away. Mm-hmm. Now comes the tricky part. Yes, it does. This is when you pull your dive knife off of your ankle. <laughs> That's right. And finish the job. <laughs> finish him off at all. But, you know, a um, couple of things about this. One, the, the burning question, the most important question that must be answered to this article. Which is the better move? If you're going to jump on the back and wrestle an alligator, is it a more power move to say to your buddy, hold my stogie? Or is it more power to leave it in your mouth and tackle the alligator? I think I, if, if this were going to be me, it's, it's neither of those. You throw it on the ground. But then you just walk back up and pick it up off the ground and go right back to smoking it when Once you're done. Once you're done. Yeah. Well, I think diving onto the alligator's back with a cigar in your mouth, you're just going to mess up a good cigar. Well, and it also depends on... So, you know, the 4,000 is about a 7-inch long cigar. And so if I have just lit that thing, there's a very good chance that while I'm trying to get in position, I'm going to burn my own arm with the with the hot end of the cigar because there's there's it changes your your depth perception a little bit yeah yeah it changes it's kind of like fishing with a cigar in your mouth you have to be really cognizant that you don't burn you don't set the hook and burn your line into yeah exactly in the same smooth motion and uh so the articles so the article seems to be operating off of the premise that the alligator's just laying there catching some rays and you're going to dive on his back. <laughs> yeah, because what they don't talk about is the fact that when you land on the alligator's back, the first thing that alligator's going to try to do is roll. Mm-hmm. That's their primary defense mechanism. Because they can lunge, but they can't run very quickly. And so being being able to keep that thing from being able to roll on you is going to be the tough part. Yeah, you're going to want a good wide base. Yeah. You're going to want a good wide base I think, I think on you're that. going to have a much better time at this than I am. Well, and it depends on the size of the alligator. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, you always... Assuming uh, the same size alligator for both of us. Let's just say, if you're going to try this, don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> try it with babies first. Yeah, start with, start with, start simple. Start with like three or four footer. Don't go straight for the 12 foot dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Godzilla's boyfriend. The one they call old Stubby out there right. by the pond. Don't start with him. Let's go ahead and start with one just a little bit. Yeah, we call him the Widowmaker. Okay, <laughs> let's maybe I'll work my way up to that. Yeah. yeah. Which bull do you want to ride, Shay? We got Widowmaker. We got Calf Killer. We, you know, you, you kind of want to start small and work your way up to the eight footer. I'm thinking maybe I would start with a four footer, five footer, something that I could that I could manage before I did that. But, you know, this one of the things I do love about this article, there used to be a feature in outdoor life called I Survived. And it was a graphic story. They did a graphic novel-style story of somebody that got attacked by a mountain lion. One guy got attacked by grizzly bears twice in oh. the same night. He got attacked by the grizzly bear, got away from the grizzly bear, is hobbling back to his truck, and a mama grizzly bear comes in a taxi. Oh my gosh! And all, uh, and finally had to go to a far, and finally got away from the mama grizzly bear. Went back to the farm, went to the classic farmer's house and knocked on the door. Hey, uh, can I use your phone? <laughs> you that know. is unreal. How so, do you, like, you never buy a drink the rest of your life. Oh, no, absolutely. You got the best story. Yeah. And all, but, you know, it kind of, the, the graphic just took me back to those days of youth thumbing through outdoor life. You know, I bought outdoor life 
not really for the hunting tips because I hunt the way I hunt. And if right. a deer happens to show up, he shows up. But because I loved Patrick F. McManus in the back, he always wrote the humor column in Outdoor Life. I loved him. And I'll rest his soul. He passed away four or five years ago. Um, Patrick McManus and How I Sur- and I Survived were the two features that every every month when my outdoor life would arrive, I'd thumb straight go, go to. Go to those first. Kind of so, like when I got my Mad Magazine. You always go to Spy versus Spy first. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and th- it's interesting because they're giving you the technique for wrestling an alligator, and the guy on this picture is doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. He's got his arm in. He's about to lose an arm. Well, it looks like the alligator attacked him. That's a very different scenario. He's in the water. Yeah, you don't but, want to try this in the water. This is a land move. Yeah, I mean, just um, and what it says, man's life. So this was from man's life. Leopard on my back, and sex storms lash our prisons. This this magazine rock. I need to find this <laughs> January yeah. of some year, probably sixty three. Well, it was a quarter was what it cost. Oh, yeah. So that tells you this was from the the early, early days of magazines. Right. But anyway, I just thought that was a fun article. I like to talk about stuff like that. I like to talk about wrestling alligators. I feel like of the two of us, you're the person most likely to actually have to heed that advice at some point in your life. Well, in the event you had to wrestle an alligator, you would like to know how. Exactly. That was. Do you remember the old Survivor's Guide ham, survival handbooks yep. that were popular in the late 90s? Th- those were so much fun to read just because, yeah, I'm never going to need to know how to rappel down a sheer mountain cliff right. with nothing but a T-shirt and a flip-flop, but it's nice to know how. But, it, but it's nice if I had to do it, I could do it. Right. And all, yeah. And, and I think we all overestimate our skills in this area. And all. I mean, I, I can sit here smoking a cigar and talk about wrestling an alligator, but probably probably overestimating the odds of, you know, DraftKings probably would not have my odds very good on me versus alligator. We should have had this on the could you do it in a pinch a few months ago. Wrestling alligator. Yeah. <laughs> and all. But okay, let's take a break. We got a big, big second half of the show. First half just flew by. It sure did. Kintsugi, um on the first lot. It had a lot of body that's mellowed out, and now it's kind of planing out into that Alec Bradley doldrums. Yep. I don't know that it's going to necessarily make par for me. We're going to have to see how it develops. All right. We'll be back with that more after this. Back to the cigar cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man that, while moving, found a skeleton in his freezer. He termed it as bone chilling. Mr. Trey Deadman. Technically, that's actually true. <laughs> there was a skeleton in my freezer when I went to move it. Was it bone chilling? A little. It, it was. It, yeah, it was chilled to the bone for sure. It was a chicken carcass that I had intended to turn into chicken stock like a year ago and forgot it was in there. <laughs> Just a, uh, Thank God it was in the freezer and not somewhere else. Yeah. That would have been really disturbing. <laughs> Hid behind the radiator in right. the guest bedroom. <laughs> it could have been rough. When was the last time you saw a radiator in a house? Oh, it's been a while. And all, but, but with your luck with Airbnbs, I have no doubt <laughs> it was a distinct possibility. 
<laughs> my yeah, my my Airbnb track record really runs the gamut. You had the fifty-two foot sailing catamaran that was just legendary, and then you've got the place we're in now, which is a little less than ideal, but still fine. Yeah, as long as you know how to duck and cover, you're fine. <laughs> and I'll from aficionado, the Tatawahe Kahanu gets a new size for 2021. And you're not a fan of this. So I, so this came in, and Austin said, have you smoked this cigar yet? And I'll, and he didn't read. Now, by the way, my compliments to the folks at Aficionado. We're just giving everybody praise tonight. Hey. They actually had a pronouncer in there, pronounced Kahonu. And I'll, cause, um, Austin was calling it the Kajuno or something like that. No, he wasn't. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um. He how, said, how can you spend any amount of time in this industry and not know that J's are pronounced like H's? I, I won't get into that. The attentiveness of our of our local owner here could be called into question at points, but he does. He runs a good cigar shop. He does. He does. So he said, "Hey, have you tried this one yet?" And I said, "I haven't." And I looked at the size. The size seven by fifty eight. So pretty close to Churchill. Yep. 7 by 58 pretty close to Churchill. I liked the size of it, and I said, okay, I'll pick it up. It's $16 here. It's a little little bit higher here, with like most cigars. Right. And I'm like, you know, $16 Tatawahe, you're really, you're testing me. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, when you get to four more dollars, I could have a Padron Pyramid. You're really, you're really testing my resolve. But I, I picked one up and smoked it, and it was good, but it was not... It was not mind-blowing or as good as I had hoped it would be. See, it's interesting. I've never been super hot on the Kahunu line, with the exception of the Grand Kahunu that they did. They might still do. I don't know. It's been a while since I smoked one. I've always felt that it was, yeah, it was a little lackluster. It it always, it kind of left me wanting more, if you would. Yeah. So it's made in the El Rey de los Habanos, a small factory in Miami located in the back of my father's cigars. It's an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper and fillers from Nicaragua. Boxes of 21, suggested retail price of 14, so 16's not, not yeah, out of the range. Bad. And also, um, yeah, uh, probably worth the smoke. Probably not going to smoke it again unless I'm just sitting here and it's a rare, a rare moment. The, I think the exception for me on that is the Kahunu 2012 was exceptional. That's the only one I've had in that line that I really, really got down on. So, from Aficionado, Fuente Rare Pinks Delayed, the Casa Fuente house cigar shipping instead. So, I smoked a Casa Fuente at Casa Fuente in Las Vegas. Right. And wasn't impressed. And in that, when you're in Caesar's Palace and you've won... You know, I'd won, I think I'd got three of a kind on three-card poker or something and ended up buying a cutter with some of my winnings while I was there and bought this cigar. Not that much difference in the price of the two. Right. <laughs> and sit down, and if, if you can sit at Caesar's Palace and smoke a cigar that's only available there and it's still not that impressive, that's kind of the bar. Right. Well, and part of me wonders, you know, the, the cigar comes in ten sizes. And I guess, you know, if you're Casa Fuente, you know, if you're a flagship store and it's your and it's your house line, maybe it makes a little bit of sense. But, man, well, 10 sizes is a and lot. I've seen it on Facebook. One of our local shops here in Murfreesboro had actually picked these up and I was able to zoom in on the price tag. 
no way I'm paying 30 bucks for this stick. And, it, and its price tag was sitting right around that 30 buck range. So I just I don't know how big a success this is going to be for the Fuentes. That being said, I do appreciate the pivot. You know, the the pinks, the rare pinks have been kind of on the horizon for about a year since I first heard about it. So they've been in the works for even longer than that. And so they don't disclose why they're being delayed or an expected timeline for getting them out. Although I do know it says it says the delay was caused by logistical complications related to the pandemic. I was talking to another shop owner just yesterday or the day before about how their Fuente order is very, very incomplete, um, bordering on didn't show up. I mean, it was so incomplete. So they're clearly in a in in the Bermuda's LFD triangle uh, of of shipping right now. But I do appreciate the pivot. Like, okay, you were expecting something new for us. Let's from us. Let's let's make something happen. I appreciate that. Yeah, I can, I can get behind it. They're trying. You know, the pinks make sense for October for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And all and WWE. One of the things WWE does well is they really sponsor the Susan G. Coleman Foundation. Um, WWE typically hands a check for a million dollars to Susan G. Coleman every October. Yeah, and uh, which is a an outstanding thing. The, of all the things they do wrong, that is one of those things they do right. Yeah. And also, uh, I'm going to let you pronounce the name, read the title of the next article from cltampa.com or cltampa.com. So Candy Corn Highlight is coming to Cigar City's Tampa Tap Room. So Highlight is a really... It, I was in Miami recently and I had tr- I tried to get tickets to go see a Highlight game. Highlight is that really weird sport where they have the baskets attached to their hands and they whip the ball at about 250 miles an hour. Okay. And I'm I'm not clear on the rules. I don't understand what the point is, but it looks like it would be a lot of fun. It's I don't know exactly what its ties to Latin culture or maybe indigenous culture is or how that works, but it's very popular in the Latin communities in South Florida. And so um, so the this brewery being Cigar City out of out of Tampa, it, it it's their flagship IPA and when I was Still drinking. This was my favorite IPA, which therefore makes it one of my favorite beers of all time. But of all the things to make it taste like, candy corn is arguably one of the worst candies on the market. I think candy corn and circus peanuts have to top the list as the two. And by circus peanuts, I may not be. I may be mislabeling. Nope, that's exactly what you're talking about. The yeah. black and the orange wrapper, yep. whatever that mysterious goop is in there. Uh huh. Yeah, those are the t- arguably the two. Oh no, two. you're thinking of something. Circus peanuts are the one, the big marshmallow. They're the peanut big marshmallow thing. peanuts. Yeah, the, yeah those the, are gross too. Yeah, those are gross too. The, okay, the top three. Yeah, and all the you know when you went when you were trigger treating. So trigger treating, I loved yeah. as a kid, and I see kids trigger treat now, and they've got flashlights and parents toting their candy and. You know, I'm and they've got 14 posts to the community Facebook group before they go out. Are we trick or treating on Saturday or Sunday this year, or what do we? Are we still going to be? Just yeah, send we, your kid out in a homemade costume and a pillowcase, and and just be happy that they bring home anything but a razor blade. Yeah, we. You know, my parents pretty much let us. Hey, we lived in a subdivision. 
They let us go. We grabbed a pillar case and we hit the road. And there wasn't none of this strolling from one house to another or getting on the hayride or jumping out of mom's minivan. from one house to the next to get in the most trick-or-treating you possibly could. You know, well, and you ran because you knew the little plastic mask with the rubber band and staple you're on was on a timer. Oh, yes. That was going to explode at some point. At some point, you knew. Actually, one year, I painted my face underneath it. Just I was to be sure, prepared. Which was not a great look because, the, of course, those masks did not breathe. No. So you're all sweaty. <laughs> so, yeah, you look so like my, Alice Cooper at a certain point. Yeah. At some point, I turned from He-Man to Alice Cooper. <laughs> it was a terrible move. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld has, from his special, I'm telling you from the last time, has an excellent bit about trick-or-treating as a kid with, with the mask and the whole thing. So if you've never heard it, I, I highly recommend you looking it up. But... You know, you would run from house to house, and you all of a sudden, I judged my neighbors based on the candy they handed out. And all for me, the ne- the best neighbor was the neighbor that had the pre-made bag. Oh yeah, with three or four different candies in there, and they would just drop a bag in there because you're like jackpot. To me, that neighbor. Never going to egg their house, going to help their exactly. dog out of the yard, you know, whatever I need to. Whether you like the candy that's in that bag or not, it was, it was, the, it was the effort that went into it, that even as a kid, you appreciated. You know, the homemade popcorn ball. Always a winner. Always a winner. And on nowadays, they, of course, nobody would let their children eat a homemade popcorn ball. Right, of course. You know, slung into their bag. But, of course, when I lived, it was simpler times. Before we discovered the environment and all these other pesky things that suck joy out of our life, um, you know, you would get the big homemade popcorn ball. Right. And you would take to running around. But what is? That, that, was, that was major currency in my house. So I grew up with an older sister and a younger brother, and we all came to the trading table at the end of the night. Yeah, and this was not... You know, this you, was cutthroat. Oh, this was. I mean, and this is not put put it all into a pile and you know take turns pulling out of the community fund. No, this isn't that socialist crap. No, this was this was monopoly and Uno combined. Right. Absolutely. This was enemies were made for life. <laughs> so okay, I want to talk about the king of Halloween candy, but I have a con- a, a note on this. Okay. It's so easy to say Reese's Cup. It is. But you can get a Reese's Cup anytime. That being said, the best Reese's are, there are two. They do one for Easter in the shape of the Easter egg, and they do one now at Halloween. They didn't do this when we were kids, but now they do one at Halloween that's in the shape of the pumpkin. And that is far and away the best Reese's. Yes. So with that caveat... Sure. With that caveat, what is the best I can only, I only get it at Halloween. Not I can only get it, but I only get it at Halloween candy. So when I was growing up, it was the little miniature Hershey's assorted packs, Mm -hmm. the crackle. Because you never, have you ever seen a full-size crackle on shelves? No. No. So getting the crackle was a good one. You could get the crunch bar, but that was... Nestle chocolate that wasn't Hershey chocolate, and so that that for me was a was a solely um, Halloween thing. Well, you probably like the crackle because the crackle was a sleeper. Yeah, you could probably trade off a couple of lesser Nestle products for the crackle. Yeah, it's true. But by the same token, the one that was always left over in my house was the Mister Good Bar. 
So it was a crapshoot if you go to the house that has that assortment, making sure that your ratios were right. Well, and for me, the Three Musketeers is the most overrated candy bar in the I, history. Who likes nougat? Yeah. You know, why would I, you know, at least the Milky Way has caramel and the Snickers has caramel and peanuts. The nougat is the least uh, desirable part of all of those candy bars. Who's eating the Three Musketeers? For me, the king of Halloween candy, because I only ate them at Halloween, Almond Joy. Oh, yes. The Almond Joy was the king of Halloween candy. No, and so here's, this was something that I learned early, early on, because with the Hershey's assortment, and with the the same pack that the Almond Joy came in, you got the Hershey Special Dark and the Mounds. And as a kid, you and you still to this day probably, because you don't like bitter, dark chocolate was never a thing that... now Nowadays, I absolutely adore dark chocolate. But there was a time when I didn't. So it becomes a really good way, or it was a really good way in my house to pay the dad tax. Yeah. So I would, I would hoard the Mounds, because I love the Almond Joy... But I would get the mounds and the special dark, and then I'd pay my tax. Yeah. That, that was good for a few favors. Yeah, you could pass that on to Dad, and yeah. he had a little more evolved palate. Yeah. Had left the yummy phase, if you will. Exactly. And all the, you know, um, my father was a big Snickers fan, and I'm not a big Snickers fan, so that worked out well. I like, it's funny, talking about this whole thing, I, I can't tell you the last time I ate just a regular Snickers bar. I used to eat them all the time when I was skiing and snowboarding. They're great to take on the mountain. And, but the little fun size, not even the fun size, the minis, the ones that are square, those are great. I can eat my weight in those. See, those, you just pop them in your mouth and you're done. You know, it, it's kind of, I, I never cared for the Snickers. The, the other one, and it, was, it became really popular in the 90s, but then you can't even hardly find them unless you go to a CVS anymore, is Reason. The caramel with the chocolate coating, but right. they're, they're kind of softened as you chew. Those were good. Now, I love the Whopper. See, I don't like malted flavor. See, uh, here's, and here's the thing I love about the Whopper. The Whopper is an oral experience. The Whopper... You put it in your mouth, and you have to decide, okay, am I going to let it lay in there till the chocolate melts off, and then it dissolves on my tongue? Do I bite it in half and hollow it out on both sides? How do I eat? There's so many ways to eat a Whopper. I, I guess I get that, but for me, yeah, it's that malted taste that just... So my parents were hippies, and so we had, like, wheat germ. And, Surely you just. Yeah, we had wheat germ <laughs> and grape nuts and things like that in the house. And so to me, the Whopper reminds me of that type of flavor, that sort of, it's just almost tastes old when it's new. Well, it was funny. My father always kept Raisin Bran in the house because... No one else would eat no it. Nobody else would eat Raisin Bran. And, and as I became older and married my wife and realized how this actually works, that you have to you have to find what your spouse doesn't like that you can tolerate. So my wife tells a similar story about growing up. There was a particular flavor. I don't remember if it was mustard or something. There was something that she developed an affinity for simply because no one else in the family liked it so that she was always guaranteed to get X. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a rule of life. I think that's why I don't think my father 
Since we all left the house, I don't think my father has eaten a bowl of raisin bran. To that point, I think grape nuts for my dad is the same situation. Yeah. Because I have not seen a thing of grape nuts in his house in a very long time. I think I think that's it. I think they say, okay, what can I get that the kids won't eat so that I can actually have it during? Because I never cared for the raisin bran. Yeah. And I'll, but every once in a while, I'll I'll burn a uh, frozen pizza for that exact same thing because no one else, <laughs> everyone else in my house. I have a question for you: When you cook a frozen pizza, do you cook it exactly to the manufacturer's specifications, or do you just kind of eyeball it to where it's the perfect level of done? Well, frozen pizza, cinnamon rolls, um, stuff like that, I like underdone. I like it a little doughy. Oh. God, really? Yes. Oof. Especially cinnamon rolls. Cinnamon rolls, I'll give you. Cinnamon rolls, I want them doughy. I actually don't want them to be able to hold up under the weight of frosting. No, th- that I'll give you. Cinnamon rolls, cinnamon rolls should be slightly undercooked. But when it comes to like, because we like the tombstone, which has that kind of crackery type crust anyway. I want it to crunch. I want it to hurt my teeth almost. Yeah, see, I, I, I never have got one crisp without burning it. Yeah, so mine, I've, it's just on the edge. Every once in a while, I'll leave all, oh, no, I forgot it for an extra three minutes, and then I get the whole pizza to myself. Does your dog smell like corn jo- corn chips when he sweats? Yes. Okay. My dog, does, this morning, Ace was roaming around, and he, he had been snuggled up, and it was warm, and it obviously got hot, and he walked up, and he's like, smells like Fritos. get the bean dip. Where'd yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is fresh, fresh. I actually got up and checked the bag of corn chips that was left over from um, football the other day to be sure that Ace hadn't got into them. He smelled so much like corn chips. How do you feel about apples as a uh, Halloween? Because we can all admit the worst, in the, the worst is the dentist that gives you the toothbrush. Oh, like, yeah. Th- that's the absolute. Yeah. His you, house is getting egged in toilet you, paper. You jab that through the, the wall of his car. Right. You sharpen that like a shiv in prison, man. Yeah. <laughs> but the apple, I, w- I was never, like, I never had a problem with. I know it's always kind of a joke, but I, my only issue I ever had with that was that everyone always gives out red delicious apples. So, parents out there, if you want to give a little bit more nutritious treat, red delicious apples are the most inappropriately named apples of all. All of them. They are the absolute worst. They're mealy. They're disgusting. They're gross. If you're going to give out an apple, give a Fuji or a Granny Smith. Those are the only two acceptable apples. <laughs> okay, I'm glad we have the acceptable apple. I have very strong apple feelings. Well, but <laughs> due to the aerobic nature of our Halloweening, our apples always got ruptured at some point. Because at some point, your brother's ahead of you. He's headed for the house that's got the Wango bar, and you just clock him with the pillowcase. Right. <laughs> he hits the ground, and you get up there first. <laughs> Especially you see, when you see the bowl getting, out that says, getting real low. Well, the bowl that says, please take one. Yeah. And you're planning on dumping that bowl, that uh, entire of bowl of bit of honey into and, your bag. And you've got to get there before your brother does oh, because yeah. he's going to do it too. Now, you'd like a couple of apples in your bag at that point. Yeah. <laughs> you and a bro- roll of quarters. Yeah. You can brain him with that one, but... We, we were terrible kids. <laughs> but anyway, I just I, I wanted to talk about what was the best ha- Halloween candy. Okay, this is an article I love. Me too. Auto Evolution. World's largest collection of auto cigarette lighters is a hot orange blast from the past. Have you ever tried to light a cigar with a car lighter? Yes, I have. Successfully. How did it work out? I've never... I was able they to quit do it. making lighters before I started smoking. I had an older, well, and I say older car. This is what I love about the Miata. 
the Miata get, is a punchline to a lot of jokes because it's a it's technically a sports car, but it's cheap and it's not as fast as pretty much any other right. sports Half car. Half a convertible is better than no convertible. Exactly. But one of the things that is great about them is that the ethos behind that car was always everything that a driver needs to make the car go stop and turn and nothing else. They've always been, I mean, lately they've gotten away from that, but but even up until 2000, mine was a 2003 model, it was very, very basic. And as a result of that, even my 03 model had a cigarette lighter. Oh, okay. Very interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so I was, so as of, I, I didn't get the car until 05, 06. And so I was smoking cigars by then. So, um, yeah, I was, I was able to do it. So for those young who have never actually seen a car lighter, and I'll, it was coiled nichrome wire, and it was heated till it would glow orange. And all, and you would push the button, and you would wait for it to pop. Right. And all, we always had an argument over who got to push the button when it was time for oh, Dad to course. light a cigarette. Of course. But you would push the button, and you would wait for it to pop, and it would pop, and it would come out there. And all, why has no, why is Zycar or somebody like that not invented a throwback cigarette lighter or cigar lighter that looks like that? I think it's because, and I have thought about this. So, with a cigarette. Even if you're using just a regular old Bic lighter, you're going to light that cigarette in less than five seconds. You just put some heat to it, and it's lit. Cigar takes considerably more effort. Sure. And as a result of that, you would have to have the end of the cigar on the coil for so much longer because, and I don't know if you ever saw this with your dad, you can wear them out. You can use them so much that you wear them out. And so I think... For a cigar lighter, it just wouldn't last long enough to be worth it. But I think there's enough old school guys out there that you could sell them, whether they were they whether they were long term or not. If St. Dupont released the car cigarette lighter, cigar lighter, I think they could sell enough of them just for the the classic factor to make it a profitable endeavor. And uh, when we're doing an article about this in a couple of weeks now, the worst part was when a piece of paper or something would get on the end of it and it would just sit there and smolder yeah, and stink up the whole car worse than the cigarette. Oh, yeah. I, I had that happen recently where I dropped a cigar into an ashtray and I didn't realize that it was right up against the cellophane. And that's the worst. Oh, that's a terrible smell. And, uh, but I thought this was pretty cool. I thought that was an interesting little article. It's on Auto Evolution, and all. And uh, you know, how many volts did you th- do you think it took to crank that thing? I bet it was unbelievable amount. Oh, I'm I'm sure it was. But this is back in the days when all cars had V8s. You know, th- th- there was some power coming through that thing. I think it was. Well, no, it's standard light socket, so it would be 12 volts. Yeah. Okay, so it would be just a 12 volt. So could you conceivably have a table? It would have to be a table lighter unit, wouldn't it? Yeah, probably. Be a table lighter unit that you would have to have in order to... Well, I don't know. You know, as much as we dog on vaping, one of the big things in the vaping community, if you will, is modding and, you know, getting more voltage out of those batteries and things. So I bet there's somebody who's got enough amateur electrical engineering skill that they could probably get that level of voltage out of a small device. 
probably could. Probably somebody that could take care of that, you know, relatively easy. So, All right. This made me think of something real quick. And so I don't think we're going to have time to get to the other two no, articles. We'll save, so. we'll save those for next week. Yeah. So they recently released, HG Mills um, recently released the Monster Mash cereal. Did you see this? Uh-huh. No. So, you know, Boo Berry and Franken... Frankenberry, Frankenberry Count and Count Chocula and all that. So they released the Monster Mash, and they did it brilliantly. Like, the, the ad for it was, like, sort of a faux VH1 behind the music where they interviewed the Lucky Charms guy and the Tricks Rabbit. Like, it was really well done. And you can practically... I, I never grew up on that cereal. It doesn't mean anything to me. But you cannot find these because people are buying them to collect them because it's a limited-run thing like that. So thinking about that that I heard about on the news today and seeing all these cigarette lighter collection makes me wonder what is the weirdest thing that that has no collector value but you've had a, a kind of a nagging in the back of your head of like I'd like to have as many of those as I could like what is the weirdest thing you could conceivably collect you know my family is notorious for this my family will collect weird stuff my grandmother had over 250 salt and pepper shakers. Okay, okay. that's right along the lines. Yeah, of what she I'm had little about. shelves all over the house with different salt and pepper shakers because her and my grandfather traveled a lot. They got to go out a lot. He worked a bunch of different jobs, and they went all over this country. And he would always pick up a pocket knife, and she would always pick up a salt and pepper shaker. Yeah. And also, she had over 250 salt and pepper shakers, and that's one of those things that you're like. And, of course, her salt and pepper shaker she used was just a plastic right. 99-cent Dollar Tree special. Yeah. You're like, why are there all these fancy salt and pepper shakers? Not a grinder amongst them. This right. is, you you, yeah. you had to get pre-ground salt and or pepper. Yeah. <laughs> now, I um, it's funny you mention that because the salt and pepper shaker we use at the house is actually vintage from the 50s glass with the little galvanized <laughs> aluminum lid. Uh, but I love it. So I that I can that I can see. It's just it's so funny. There's a there's a toilet seat museum somewhere in Florida. There's all kinds of people just collecting weirdest. And I just I think that's great. Find something that speaks to you and collect it. I don't care what anybody else says. Well, you know my my knife collection. You know I have three or four hundred knives at this point, and all. And I actually have a safe just for my knives. One day. I will actually build in my man cave a display case to display all my knives. But for now, they sit in my safe where they're nice and safe. Yeah, but I feel, I feel like with the pocket knives, though, you've got... I mean, some of those will be actual collector's items because they were functional pieces that, you know, meant something to... So, like, your grandfather always carried a buck. Right. So a buck knife is going to mean something to you. So on a secondary market, you might, if you didn't have his collection you might be willing to pay over sort of regular oh, yeah. price to, to have that. Whereas the salt and pepper shakers, I feel like their value is in the collection. No one is looking for a vintage salt and pepper shaker from Des Moines, Iowa. Right. Yeah, they, you know, I have some valuable ones. I have a Case Buffalo Horn, yeah. which they can't make anymore, you know, for environmental reasons and everything like that. And I have some vintage stuff like that, but I don't know... As far as anything really odd that I would like to collect, I'll have to ponder it. What have you got? I don't really, I don't really have anything. Like the idea just came to me as we were going through the article. Yeah, but because I am, I am predisposed 
to collecting. Like that's the kind of person I am. I am. I, I hold on to things. Uh, so, I, but now I'm going to be thinking of it too. Well, you know, a couple of weeks ago at a yard sale, I got a funny look from my wife because I bet bought a set of size. And all the the ninja weapon, the teenage yeah. ninja turtle, Raphael held them. The, somebody had a really nice set of size in a case that she sold for five bucks, and I said, "I'm getting it." And of course, yeah. I bring them back in my truck. My, my wife said, "Why did you buy those? It's in case of ninjas." <laughs> You'll wish you had a set if we are attacked by ninjas. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but um, you know, the yard selling it is funny. And I really have thought I need to start a Facebook page where I just post the weirdest thing I see at a yard sale every week. I would probably have millions of followers and people posting weird stuff seen at yard sales. Yeah. I probably should just start that Facebook page <laughs> at all. But anyway, so let's talk about the Kintsugi. Fair to Midland, it's a five, maybe yeah. a five and a half on a good day. Uh, started out much better than it's just kind of settled into the doldrums. Not super impressive to me. Not really, not really talking to me. My my Padron's a six. It will always be a six. That's exactly what this cigar is meant to be. It's what it always does. It's it's not a seven because the anniversary series exists. Sure, but it's it's as good as a cigar in that price range could ever hope to be. Well, you know, I always say. The the true test of a man, whether or not he knows cigars, is can he take you in the humidor and put a good cigar in your hand for less than $10? Right. You know, and the Charter Oaks are good for that. The CAO Session is good for that. And whenever somebody asks me around here to, to recommend them a cigar, I'm always going to, much to the chagrin of the ownership of this establishment, Right. Um, I'm always going to try to hit that under $10 mark to really... To Reinforce, really yeah, because yeah. to me that's the that's the tail of the tape, right? And that Padron is solidly in that category. Exactly, you can usually pick them up, you know, ten, eleven, around ten, eleven, yeah, and all, and really come out with a good cigar. So how do they get a hold of us, Trey? You can reach us at facebook.com slash cigarcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast and info at the cigarcast.com. Thank you everybody for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.